That was The Smiths with a track called Had No One Ever from the album The Queen Is Dead. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another award-worthy 60 minutes, or could be, if it's the bank holiday, two hours of fun-filled frolics as I'll be travelling time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop. As always, I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should. This week's special guest is going to be Davy Woodward from The Brilliant Corner. So I've got that interview cut up into three little chunks for you to hear over the next 60 minutes alongside the usual classic playlist and I was thinking because obviously that's the, uh, the brilliant corners are, are the special guest we should start with their classic song this is Brian Ricks it's hard to imagine what it meant to me holding you tight Miles and miles of carpet, chocolate and tea A palace of paupers such as me (laughs) 
don't get caught They won't be back till 11 o'clock We fumbled around the front of the budgie She started to laugh Well, what's so funny? You remind me of Brian Ricks When you pull down your trousers It sends me in fits It's just you remind me of Brian Ricks When you pull down your trousers It sends me in fits Well that's cool What can I do? Well that's cool What can I do? Oh, let's go. That is the um, all the way from Romford. That was the the Wolfhounds with their chart-bound sounds of Anti-Minus Touch that came out in 1986 and reached number six in the charts. Yes. 
that was disastrous. That should have been number one at least. And before that, we had our special guest. That is the Brilliant Corners and the track called Brian Ricks that came out in 87. And for those who like um, the data, yes, that got to number 11. And they're from Bristol, so there you go. But anyway, this week's special guest is going to be frontman Davey Woodward from the band because I caught up with him a few months ago to find out about life, love and poetry and all that groovy stuff. So I'll be bringing that... Um, interview a little bit later on in the show but not that much later because there's three bits to it and I have only got probably about 50 minutes left so I'm going to play another track by the band this is I'll Never Be The One To Break Your Heart you can see the 80s was full of melancholia and sadness but in a romantic and kind of groovy sort of way
that's the opening track on the Throne Muses album Limbo that came out. I don't know, I think it was in the mid-90s. And anyway, Kristen Hirsch, who's the, obviously the main singer-songwriter um, of the band, is going to be uh, touring in this country in the next month or so. And I know she's also going to be at the Meltdown Festival that has been curated by the one and only Robert Smith from The Cure. So if you're interested and excited about the work of Kristen Hirsch, do check it out because I know that she's got solo dates and uh, in an intimate and exciting venues around the country and it's definitely worth checking out. And also I did an interview with her recently as well and I have got a Kristen Hirsch special on the C86 show that you could find somewhere on the internet. Before that, we also had our special guest, and yes, it was the turn of the Brilliant Corners, and that was a track called I'll Never Be the One to Break Your Heart that I think appears on a compilation that came out on Cherry Red Records called Heart on Your Sleeve, which features lots of amazing songs from that golden decade. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show, and this is going to be the first part of my interview that I had with Davey Woodward from the band. And this is where we talk about the beginning and those early years. So sit back, relax and enjoy the first part of this award-worthy interview. I guess we kind of formed originally it was myself and Chris and it, it kind of came out of that post-punk era really. Um, and I guess like a lot of maybe some of those early indie bands um, you know, say such as the Wolfhounds, it, it was really coming out of that kind of late 70s, early 80s uh, appreciation of the music going on then. Yes, because obviously those very, I mean, for me, I've always put sort of the indie scene down at the, almost the first Smith single and um, album, which is sort of 80, 83 time. And that, that definitely was sort of the post-punk period. And yeah. and those bands like um, obviously the Smiths and even people like the Dentists, they were there kind of in the early years. But their sound wasn't that punky, really, was it? It did have already no. have that quality. No, I I guess it's interesting you mentioned the Dentists because I can remember we did a few gigs with the Dentists back in the day abroad in Belgium and places like that. And um, their sound was very much a kind of um, psychedelic guitar, almost birdsy sound. So there, I guess in the early days of what you might call the indie scene, there were a lot of very different sounding bands. Yes. A real broad range of, of, of kind of music, I guess. Yeah. Well, you had sort of, I suppose quite quickly, you did have that sort of quality that we grew to love which was the sort of, I suppose people call it a bit jangly which mm. was, I suppose I would imagine a lot of people did have um, a few albums by west coast bands like the birds and actually I did an interview with the dentists and they they did say they were a bit obsessed with the west coast and early REM so I guess it all sort of figures and then you had bands like the June Brides who were a little bit more I suppose I don't know they had quite a poetic sound and almost a, I think a bit of a brass moment as well going on as well. Mm. I think, um, yeah, I think there were lots of influences. I think certainly for the Brilliant Corners, we went through lots of influences uh, and, you know, very much, I think, when, when Cherry Red wanted us to put out our kind of compilation of stuff, the, the title of the album was Hearts on Our Sleeves because I think we were very much like that. You know, you, particularly the early stuff, you can tell our early singers I'm obviously listening to loads of Bob Dylan at the time yeah. and then it just kind of moves on uh, Dylan Velvets then to more kind of pure pop I'm probably listening to lots of English English 60s pop a lot yes. of things like that and, and I think when you're very young you you just can't help but that excitement and infectiousness kind of permeates into your own songwriting and into the guys playing and I think um, probably the period you're referring to the, the C86 86 to kind of you know 90 89 uh, very much yeah guitar pop Dan was back in the band playing trumpet um, yeah very, very much so yeah that kind of guitar thing 
And were you quite surprised? I mean, obviously when bands form, and you know, I've known loads, but mostly none of them in this area, this is the East Coast, really sort of go on to do much. So obviously the bands that do sort of get themselves kind of noticed do take a while, because I remember even talking to Fast Eddie from Motorhead last autumn, which was a bit bizarre because he died recently. And he said oh. it took a, a few years for the, the band to get their sound together because they were creating something quite unique. And obviously that's Motorhead. But even with the kind of indie scene, there must have been a period where you were going from just like, well, that's kind of a quaint sort of sixth form band to suddenly John Peel wanting to play your record because it's kind of interesting enough. Mm. I think, um, yeah, in many ways there were, there were kind of years of... Um, carrying around cassette tapes, going into pubs, hoping someone would put the gig on. And then you'd be in some really awful pub where, uh, you, you know, you were lucky to get out without getting your head kicked in, but you do it just just to play your music in front of seven completely disinterested people because uh, there, there was no scene. There, no. Was just, we, there was just maybe... 25 freaks and outsiders and uh, we were probably five of those 20 so there was that that happened in the early days in the kind of early 80s and then I guess as there were more fanzines and and you know Peel would play more of that kind of music it branched out you could go you could you could find a club in london that would put you on or you might know someone in birmingham like burberry's they they'd have a night so it, it definitely blossomed there was, so if there was a scene it was kind of more or an old-fashioned way of not yeah. quite social media it was actually quite a slow tentacles going out so bands were allowed to develop over i think a longer period of time which is good yeah Nowadays, it's so much more difficult, you know, everything has to And that's the first part of my interview that I had with Davey Woodward from The Brilliant Corners, another two to come before the end of the show, but uh, because we're feeling particularly excited and biased and slightly hyperventilating with the usual excitement of this show, I thought we should play another track by the band. And this is going to be, um, which one is it going to be? I'm going to go for Why Do You Have to Go Out With Him? when you could go out with me, which, you know, was the thing we almost had tattooed on our heads during the 80s. When you could go out with me What do you have to go with me? 
I'm, I'm reluctant to use words like gorgeous, but let's face it, that was absolutely pop perfection from the Brilliant Corners and the track called Why Do You Have To Go Out With Him? When You Could Go Out With Me. And uh, like I said, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, we always like your messages, as long as they're kind of positive and groovy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can via Facebook or Twitter, just go to at C86 Show. And I will be there. And um, yes, it always makes me smile. But anyway, this is the second part of the interview with David that I had, uh, where we talk about the importance and the excitement of that famous cassette, the C86 cassette that came out with the NME. Take it away, Davey. No. Um, <laughs> I Again, I think because we maybe predated that scene a little bit, uh, we were around, you know, we, I think we put our first single out in 1984. And a lot of bands did, you know, bands like Pulp were around then. A lot, a lot of groups were around. Um, and also, I think, gosh, I, I don't think we were fully entrenched in, you know, we, we, we weren't camped out in London for months on end. We weren't scenesters or anything like that. So I think to a certain extent, some of the media might have bypassed us a little bit. Although we got our fair share of coverage in, in you know, the enemy or Melody Maker sound. Yeah. Um, some of it positive, some of it scathing, you know, it, it, it kind of went with the territory. Uh, Peel used to play us a lot. Um, so, no, I, I think, yeah, we were never asked. We yeah. never asked. Well, it was interesting because I know the June Brides famously it's famously kind of declined the offer to be on that cassette but obviously when they put out the triple cd box set a few decades later they were more than happy and i, I didn't notice that actually you're also on the uh, triple cd box set yeah. as well i think when you're looking back retrospectively it, it's easier to see the connections yeah. back back then when we were just playing music you, you, i don't think any of us and particularly me i didn't think oh, we're part of a movement or we're part of a scene. We just kind of did stuff and we might have been playing, gosh, I, I've lost count of how many gigs me and, you know, the Brilliant Corners and the Flatmates would have done together or the Chesterfields and we all got to know each other really well. Uh, Deb Haynes from the Flatmates used to live across the road from me when we were kids growing up in Avonmouth. So it was kind of quite weird. We had our connections, but maybe not on a national yeah. Uh, way um and now looking back retrospectively you can see there were lots of bands in lots of different cities doing similar things yes well that was interesting because i was going to say i mean we're from the east uh and there wasn't wasn't a lot and there still isn't really i think mm. an amazing musical scene we had the farmers boys and the higsons but they didn't sort of really take off that far and they're a bit of a novelty band and and then you know we were well, I was, you know, obviously listening to John Peel, sort of not knowing many other people who listened to John Peel and being a bit obsessed with all that sort of sound. And, and the other bands he played on the show, like the Boondie Boys and the Four Brothers and all that sort of hip-hop stuff, stuff as well as, you know, the early years of Fuskadoo. And, and so we were sort of, I suppose I was kind of impressed with that sort of sound that all that idea, the scene from the Midlands, you had people like the Fuzzbox and Terry and Jerry. And then you had in Bristol, obviously, the Flatmates and... Um, and the brilliant corner. So it did seem like there was a little bit of community and bands that were going beyond playing their local club. Yeah, that, I think there definitely was. Um, but I think uh, that kind of fermented over or gestated over kind of years. And that was a good thing because I think the bands themselves could develop. And um, a lot of things were word of mouth, fanzines, uh, I think the influence of um, the music press was very big then. You know, you, you you might be the, you know, one of a handful of kids who go down your local news agent and buy the NME, but it was important, vastly mm. important. Times have changed so much in, in those terms. So maybe we um, kind of look back at that period as a sort of blue period of a, of a, of a scene, of a happening that maybe we feel we're starved of now. And that's not to say um, certainly young people have their stuff they're into, but maybe the idea that you have a, a youth movement or a scene that's developing and mm -hmm. growing 
we're tending to look back at that rather than be part of it anymore, if yeah. you know what I mean. And I think young people aren't part of it. I've got kids who are teenagers and they'll often tell me that they're listening to records I used to listen to. <laughs> like, come on, what, what's new? Oh, God, that record's 30 years old. That's not new. <laughs> you know. Yes, I know. It's a strange one. I think my brother's... Um... 15-year-old daughter's just discovered the Beatles and is very excited by it. So it's like, oh, right, okay, that's nice, you know. And it's like, oh, I haven't listened to the Beatles for decades either. But, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, actually. And most bands, you know, what I've noticed, they have this kind of great final five-year arc of getting together. They make a bit of a sound. They think, oh, God, it's quite good. John Hill plays it. Then they get possibly a session, do the album, do a bit more of a tour. And then things start to get a bit tricky after that five years. And if anybody ever does America, that, that often seems to finish them completely for some many reasons. What was your sort of story with the Brilliant Corners as it progressed? Gosh, um, we played lots of, I think I must have played every major or minor town in, in the UK. I've definitely played Norwich Arts Centre. I can't remember who we played it with. It might have in car of the unstoppable machine or whatever they were called um yes so what our story is we just got better at doing it ourselves and we had a few people who kind of semi-managed us along the way um but we got better at arranging gigs directly we did uh, some big tours in Germany um, with, with different people out there and promoters out there. So we got, we kind of got more, more attuned to the sort of business end of it. We never kind of, I think we messed, oddly enough, some, I played on Saturday and someone was asking me this question, oh, why were the Brilliant Commons never huge? Why you, you, you kind of had a moment when you could have been huge. And the simple answer is, I don't think we ever, um, felt that well I don't think we did ourselves any favors I can remember labels coming to see us play and we'd um I don't know we'd just be quite provincial and a little bit silly and drunk and we never kind of schmoozed enough and we never had um some savvy manager kind of um saying guys shut up and go away you've just blown a a hundred grand deal so (laughs) we, we 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 didn't we we just never contemplated it, to be honest. And I think maybe other bands maybe had more switched on. Yes, well, it could be Blessing in Disguise. That was the second part of my interview with Davey Woodward from the band, who, after the Brilliant Corners, uh, formed the experimental pop band and is currently in a band called Karen um, that's doing material and live dates around the country. So if you want to know any more information, Google... I suppose, Davy Woodward, The Brilliant Corners, Karen, The experiment, Experimental Pop Band, and you will find information and uh, live dates that they have coming up and um, how to get hold of their new material. So do check that out. Anyway, I think it's time for some more music before we have the third part of the interview. And this is a track called Teenage. I'd like to take you out, but you might tell me no To hold you in my arms and to kiss you sweetly Oh, so sweetly I'd like to make you bed to wash your clothes and scrub your back But you won't let me, you won't let me Nothing ever happens and I guess it never will And a young boy's passions can make him very ill On a tip in a suburb there's a heart that's used to the grime And the waste and parental distaste And the sun, it never shone Under the blackest day Tell me no To hold you in my arms And to kiss you sweetly Oh so sweetly I'd like to make you bed And bring you cups of tea To wash your clothes And scrub you back But you won't let me You won't let me Nothing ever happens And I guess it never will And a young boy's passions Can make you very ill On a tip in a suburb There's a heart that's used to the grind And the waste And parental distaste Sun. It never shone under the blackest day the Nothing ever happened. 
tapping our toes along to that one as well so there you go that is uh, another track by the brilliant corners and that was called teenage now the third and final part of my interview with davy woodward from the band where i talk about uh, this decisions to possibly sign to a major record label as so many indie bands did and not always with a good consequence take it away davy we i don't think through idealistic reasons or even um, creative reasons, we, we we weren't making a stand saying, oh, we'll never sign to a major. We were just inept at it, really. Um, <laughs> but, but through that ineptitude, actually what we did get was I could create whatever I wanted. I could develop the songs wherever I wanted. We could release whatever we wanted. So from a a kind of creative point of view, it, it was marvellous. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think that's why we've got so much stuff out there. We've, we've, there's a, I was surprised um, when the band did their reunion gigs, how many songs I'd written in that period. There's just so much. Yeah. I think bands signed to labels would have, yeah, you're right, they would have been pushed and bullied to go here, there and everywhere. Yeah, it's a tricky one, really, because I, I sort of spoke to the guy from the, the Railway Children and, you know, his manager, their manager, who obviously had the contacts, wanted them to support, you know, Take That. And he was like, we don't want to support Take That. And, you know, the Red Guitars also signed a Virgin that seemed like a good idea and, and that was the death of their band because they just didn't like the new producer and the new direction. And and so it's an interest. And then I did a, an interview with um, Bob, Collins from The Dentist and and I sort of asked him about all the material they have and he said the problem is that's a great project for someone to sort out but we don't own it and East West Run has some of it and this other record label has some of it so they don't actually have it themselves so it's kind of like oh so how do you get to hear that record and you think well for the moment until we probably you know get into retirement and decide to sort out our business when we're in our 70s you probably won't because that's going to be sitting somewhere which is a shame, you know, but I realise that, yes, the smaller label, uh, the, the bands who kept with the smaller labels and kept the publishing rights were at least able to sort of um, have some control of the output and um, archive it. Yeah, and, and I think with the Corners stuff, it, it's really, you know, it's really well archived now, you know, with the, particularly with um, the stuff that Cherry Red have done. Yes. And there's a whole history of stuff. I dare say I've still got, boxes of cassette tapes of songs uh, uh, somewhere in the house um but um yeah i i feel yeah our kind of history is quite complete which is nice that's gratifying yes because I, I also interviewed the guy from it's immaterial they're still sort of finding boxes that they realize that they need to sort out just for themselves you know and i think it's a bit like my what my dad is still doing in his 80s is kind of sorting stuff out you know in that kind of oh you know when I'm not here you'll need to sort you know some all have to do it so I'll do it now you know so I think with a lot of bands you know is that thing of just tidying up and I think Cherry Red have done a quite an amazing job in that in that way because um they seem to be very good at putting these compilations out which is nice yeah I think they've you know they've got a core of people at that label who love the music and and love get doing um yes certain kinds of projects and I think that shows you can really tell when bigger labels put out things and there's no love there because it's really half arse and the sleeves look rubbish and the running orders rubbish and yeah. half the they have aren't the right bands whereas what Cherry Red have done is you know it's pretty comprehensive yeah and what would you what would you say because I know you're still making music and, yeah. and and actually and the nice thing is I think most people You've done bands in the 80s 
have sort of off and on, but recent, most, much more recently have sort of got back, not re, you know, got back with the old band, though some have actually, but they're just quite enjoying doing it again. What would you say to your 18-year-old self, you know, starting out in the world of pop and rock and indie? Um, just, just write, just write music. And the more you write and the more you play, the better it will get. And uh, go out there and get noticed, you know, because you, you, you can get noticed much, much easier in some ways these days. But, um, and maybe not be so earnest about it, maybe enjoy it more. I think when I was 18, everything felt anxious and difficult and complicated. So it probably took me about eight years to actually enjoy touring. <laughs> so uh, I would say enjoy it. Yes. And did you, did, was there a moment when you decided that was it with the band? Yeah, I, I think there was, um, there was a period where I think we, we were kind of playing gigs and I was thinking, oh, the band seem less interested in playing now. <laughs> They're kind of more interested either in just drinking the beer or going home. And likewise, the audience seem less interested. <laughs> so I thought maybe that's telling me something. Um, because it was a real, it was a real shame when we did finally call it the day in many respects. But that was kind of 91, 92, we called it the day. And I think that had been you know, the writing had been on the wall for about a good sort of three years before that, maybe even longer. But, um, yeah, a few years after that, I got involved with the Experimental Pop Band. And the strange thing is I've released probably more albums with the Experimental Pop Band than I did with the Brilliant Corners. So, <laughs> kind of well, odd. It is. Because actually you did, because I think the one thing, there were several things that often sort of slightly killed a lot of the indie bands. And it was kind of musical... Um, I suppose the new musical kind of um, sounds that were coming, there was the sort of the, the dance scene, you know, the Manchester stuff, which some bands like the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays were able to sort out or at least go with it and the Soup Dragons. And then it was grunge as well. And I think for a lot of bands, and I always remember when the Sundays came along, thinking, oh, that's really nice. But somehow it was a bit like, God, you're three years a bit behind, even though they still had their moment. It was almost like, God, you, you know, it's it's like that scene had almost passed us by, really. And, um, and then Britpop came along in the sort of, I don't know, 93, 94. But, but yeah, I suppose if you managed to get to 91, you were doing pretty well if you started in 84. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, that's, that's a huge amount of time for, for a band to be together. Um, but I think I kind of missed actually, I think when you're in a band, sometimes you can go through this period where, you're not listening to enough music and I, and they got, got, got to a, bit, a period where I stopped playing music and I was DJing and just got revisiting all the records and bands that I really liked, um, which inspired me to start writing songs again. Uh, you know, I think bands do have a certain shelf life. It reminds me of that quote by Hunter S. Thompson, who said, the music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. Yes, indeed, Hunter. Anyway, that was the third and final part of my interview with Davey Woodward from The Brilliant Corners and also currently in a band called Karen. And between that was also in the experimental pop band. Thank you ever so much for giving me the time for that interview. I do believe I've still got quite a bit more time for more music. I think we should play some more tracks by The Brilliant Corners because, let's face it, we're channeling the spirit of the band. And uh, this is going to be one track which I do believe is titled With a Kiss. I saw her 
great to rediscover some of these classic bands from the golden decade that was the 80s and that is the brilliant corners with a track called with a kiss and this sadly dear listener is going to be the end of the show a big thank you to davy woodward from the band for giving me the time for that interview it was much appreciated and um, yes thank you for the music to quote abba i guess but anyway look i'm gonna leave you with another track by the band before we get too melancholic this is going to be um somebody up there likes me Me.
Together, this is more to this. 